Welcome to Spiritual Mythbusters. I'm your host, Paul Graves, and this is the place where we always share what we value as truth and promise to always share it in love. This podcast is an outreach of Bible to Life Ministry located in Northeast Florida. So if you enjoy what you hear, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on resources to view our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. Now put on your spiritual thinking caps and let's dive into another episode. Well, hello, and I want to welcome each and every listener to today's episode. As always, I am your host, Paul Graves, and I can promise you that you are in for another episode that will both challenge, encourage, and inspire you. Today, what I have decided to do was to talk about a topic that I have not brought up or discussed in the last 18 episodes. So since we've started Spiritual Mythbusters, I have not brought this topic up, but I felt led to talk about it today. Today's episode is titled Extreme, Radical, or Hyper Grace. I told you, this is going to be very challenging. Each one of you, in some way, shape, or form, have a different opinion or understanding of grace. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my opinion as far as what the scriptures have taught me that grace is. And there's three things we're going to talk about today. We're going to answer three questions. The first question is, what is grace? We're going to deal with that. What is grace? In other words, what does Scripture say that grace is? Then we're going to talk about what has grace accomplished. So what does the Scriptures say grace has accomplished? And we're talking about the New Testament Scriptures. We're talking about New Covenant Scriptures. Scriptures written with a new and better covenant with better promises understanding. And then the third question we're going to ask, which is going to be extremely challenging for many of you today, is grace enough in a new and better covenant with better promises? So I guess you can tell from the topic and from the three questions that today is going to to be an exciting episode, and let's go ahead and dive right in. So in my opinion, Scripture defines extreme, radical, or hyper-grace as such. And I want to read three scriptures. The first one is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did Jesus say on the cross? Jesus said as he was hanging there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It doesn't get any more radical or extreme than that. Romans chapter 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Paul is saying that while we were in direct opposition to God, which is what enemy means. If you're an enemy, you're in direct opposition. While we were in direct opposition to God, God reconciled us. It says God was in Christ reconciling us through the death of His Son. Man, 
You want to talk about extreme, radical, hyper-grace? Can it get any more extreme than that? While you were an enemy of God, while I was an enemy of God, while humanity as a whole was in direct opposition to who God is, who God was, and who God will ever be, God was in Christ, regardless of us reconciling all of us unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings, not counting their sins, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So if you want to know what I believe as far as grace, if you want to know what extreme radical grace is, let me just say this, Christ as the visible representation of grace, not law, gave all. That is amazing. What is grace? We all have our definitions. What is grace? The primary function of biblical grace was to redeem humanity from the law. Not the law of Moses or the Old Covenant, but the primary functional or biblical practice of grace was to redeem humanity from the law of sin and death. We find that non-believers, now you know this, we find that non-believers are not believing today in Jesus so they can be free from the law of Moses. So why are non-believers believing in Jesus? Well, they're believing in Jesus in order to be free from the power of the law of sin and death. So let me give you four definitions of grace that I have put together based on my understanding of New Testament scriptures. So what is grace? Grace is the foundation on which faith stands, or grace is the foundation on which faith builds its house. Number two, grace is the ability for believers to become more than the law of Moses could have ever required, and the power through the love of God to demonstrate the authority of God necessary to fulfill all things in the earth. Number three, Grace is God's power and ability made available to all humanity for the purpose of empowering those who believe to live life successfully in Christ as Christ on earth. See, the very foundation or purpose of grace, according to the New Testament scripture, is to redeem humanity from the law of sin and death. What is grace? Grace is redemptive, or grace is a redemptive work, or grace is redeeming. So I think we would all agree that it's because of grace that you and I are saved through faith, right? We'd agree with that, not of our own works. So we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So if we're going to say that grace is redemptive, then we need to define redemptive. So the definition of redemptive means of, relating to, 
or bringing about redemption, acting to save someone from error or evil. So let me say it this way. Through grace, God acted in an effort to save all humanity from the error or from evil. That is powerful. Grace is so much more than we have been taught in some grace movements. Grace is redemptive. Grace is redeeming. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you have been saved. In other words, humanity was saved because of grace. And we received the salvation that was created by grace through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So by grace you have been saved. The world has been saved by grace through the work of the cross, through the work of Christ's atonement, which was the event surrounding the cross. The world had been saved because Christ willingly, as an atoning sacrifice, died for us, not as a substitute in our place. So by grace we were saved. By the work of the cross, which was grace, we had been saved, and we received salvation through faith, not of our works, but of the work that God did in Christ reconciling the world unto himself while Christ was on the cross, not counting our sins against us. By the work of grace that God did in Christ while we were enemies in direct opposition to God. See, the work of grace is a free gift, though unless the gift is received from the giver, it's not a gift at all. So even though grace has made a way, even though grace has saved us through the work of the cross, we still have to receive the reconciliation through faith in order to be born again or born from above. God's work of grace reconcile all humanity by making a way of salvation back to the Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I think that's important. The work of grace is redemptive. God reconciled His differences with humanity by nailing our sins, our past, our present, and our future sins to the cross, no longer counting those sins against us. That's not what Paul Graves is saying. This is what the Word of God is saying. What grace did, grace created a bridge from the dominion of darkness into His marvelous kingdom of light, the bridge of grace from one dominion to another kingdom. But listen, humanity must willfully choose through faith in Jesus Christ to walk out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, even though grace bridged the gap between the dominion of darkness and the marvelous kingdom of his light, we still have to walk across that bridge through faith to be delivered from darkness into light. Amen? Man, that is powerful. Look, reconciliation is a two-way street. God has provided by grace, and we read this in the Word of God, that God has provided by grace a way of reconciliation. We just read that. Though in order for true reconciliation to take place, both parties must desire to be reconciled. God is not going to apprehend humanity. God is not going to say that I have reconciled you unto Jesus, my Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you are enemies of me, and I am now forcing you into union. God does not want to force humanity into a union with him, but he has created a union in which humanity can enter into 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What Apostle Paul was not doing was advocating a work in the natural in order to be reconciled unto God. What Apostle Paul was doing when we read 2 Corinthians 5 all the way through in context was letting humanity know that God himself has already done the work. Reconciliation has already taken place. Humanity has already been forgiven. Their sins are no longer counted against them. And all we need to do as humanity, by faith, receive what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. In other words, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we enter into the new and better covenant with better promises that Jesus cut by the shedding of his blood through his atonement, which were the events surrounding the cross. So what is grace? Which is the first question. Grace is redemptive. Let's go with the next second question. What has grace accomplished? Grace abolished the law of sin and death. And through faith, grace provides individuals, humanity, entrance into the kingdom of God, which is governed by the law of spirit and life. 1 John 3, 8 says, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. When we read in context 1 John 3, 1 through 8, and not just read verse 8, we gain a revelation or an understanding that what the Word of God is talking about is sin and death. So in other words, to destroy the work of the devil is not sickness and disease. They're the results of sin and death. They're the results of the works of the devil. But Jesus came so that he might destroy the works of the enemy, which was the law of sin and death. So the grace of God, all right, or the work of grace, was made visible or revealed through Jesus Christ. And through the work of grace, Jesus legally abolished sin and death on the cross. In other words, Jesus legally destroyed the power of sin and death through his atonement, through the events surrounding the cross, through his natural sufferings at the whipping post, through the death on the cross, through his descent into Hades, through his resurrection from Hades or out of Hades, and to his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, when we read this in context, when we read Romans 8, 1 through 2, and when it says, there is therefore now, when you hear the word therefore, that means back it up and let's read what was before there. So when you take Romans chapter 7, and then you read chapter 8 and go into the first two verses, when you read it in context, it's speaking of the redemptive work of grace. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit and life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is what was said in John. For Jesus came to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy, which was the spirit of sin and death. What has the work of grace accomplished? That was the question we asked a minute ago. So let's look at some scriptures. 
Ephesians 1, 7 says that the work of grace accomplished forgiveness. For it says forgiveness of sins by grace. Ephesians 2, 8. The work of grace accomplished what? We are saved by grace. Romans 3, 24. We are justified by grace. Titus 3, 7. We are made righteous by grace. 2 Timothy 1, 9. We are holy by grace. Grace, as we learned when we asked the question, what is grace? Grace is redemptive or grace is redeeming. The very purpose of grace is that through faith, mankind would have the power and the ability to be set free or loosed from the bondages of sin and death. So what is grace? Grace is redemptive. And what has grace accomplished? Grace has abolished the law of sin and death. Third question, is grace enough? Well, let me say, according to my understanding of Scripture, unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, is grace enough? Absolutely not. Grace is not enough. Now, many of the grace movements or the grace circles, we are taught that it's the law of Moses or the law of the Old Covenant versus grace in the New Covenant. So it's law versus grace. And listen, I'm not going to argue with that. Absolutely not going to argue. I believe that 100%, but I would add to it. It is by faith that you are saved. So it wasn't law versus grace as much as it's law versus grace and faith. Because faith without grace is powerless. Because grace creates all that we would ever need that we receive through faith. That we administer into our lives and the lives of others through faith. So grace, remember, is the foundation on which faith stands. So it's not law versus grace, but it's law versus grace and faith. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace is the foundation on which faith stands, or grace is the foundation on which faith builds its house. The grace of God creates all we will ever need in the Spirit. And it's the faith of God that brings all grace has created to life or to reality. This is why I say that grace is the foundation upon which faith builds its house. Grace needs faith in order to manifest what has been created. Does that make sense? I hope this is, this is making sense. See, the purpose of grace, and I know we've been taught a lot of things, but the purpose of grace scripturally is not to police morality. We were never called to, to police morality. So the purpose of grace is not to police morality, but the purpose of grace is to empower believers through faith in Jesus Christ to experientially live righteous. See, there is a difference between receiving all of God by grace and experiencing all you've received from God through faith. There is a big difference. Let me say it again. There is a difference between receiving all of God by grace 
and experiencing all you receive from God through faith. Once a non-believer believes, they receive the fullness of God. Listen, we dealt with this two episodes ago. We talked about all that New Covenant believers receive the very moment they're born again. So once a non-believer believes, they receive the fullness of God. However, just because you receive the fullness of God doesn't mean you experience God's fullness. In other words, you only experience what you've received when you operate in faith without doubting. So you have the grace of God that creates for us all we ever need. It's the grace of God that allows us through faith to receive Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God that creates the fullness of who God is on the inside of us. It's the grace of God that empowers us to live life successfully. But it's the faith of God that activates God's grace in order for us to walk in the fullness of God, experiencing the goodness of God, not only for ourselves, but for other individuals. Grace without faith, and I think this is important, Grace without faith is powerless to affect change in the lives of people. Look, I'm not trying to be controversial, but grace without faith is powerless to affect change in the lives of people. Powerless to save, powerless to heal, powerless to deliver, and powerless to set free. Contrary to the ever-growing popular belief within the grace movement. Contrary to the ever-growing popular belief within the grace movement, grace produces involuntary acts or works of righteousness through faith. Paul, what are you saying? I'm saying that we're saved by grace through faith, not of work. So redemption is not a work. We are already redeemed by the work of grace, but we receive the redemption of Jesus Christ through faith. Redemption is not a work. It is a free gift received by grace through faith. Though believers must still work in the kingdom in order to cause the knowledge of God's glory. And my understanding of that word glory is experiential goodness. So believers must still work in the kingdom in order to cause the knowledge of God's goodness or the knowledge of God's experiential goodness to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is completely. And I've made this statement Several times, the knowledge of God's glory is what we are called or expected as believers to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We know that God's glory covers the entire earth, but the experiential knowledge or the experiential goodness of God through sons and daughters of God manifesting the love of God into the lives of other people must cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is completely. Now I'm going to touch on a scripture that I know is difficult. For a lot of individuals, when they talk about grace, and there again, guys, I know I'm saying this a time, time, time again. I'm trying to share what I value as truth, and I want to share it in love. It is not my heart in any way to say I'm right and you're wrong. I just want to share what the scriptures say. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says this, But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith, according to this scripture, faith produces works of grace. Grace is a work. 
Remember, grace is the foundation upon which faith stands. The work of grace or the existence of grace makes available in the earth signs, wonders, healings, miracles, deliverance, and salvation. However, it's because of the existence of grace that a believer receives or administers the power to set the captives free by faith. So for those that would say Paul disagrees with James, James disagrees with Paul, I don't want to compare Paul to James. I want to compare Jesus to James. Can I do that? Let's compare Jesus to James because James chapter 2, verse 17 through 18 is almost word for word, verbatim, from what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12. So if we disagree with James chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, then that means you disagree with Jesus. Because what James is saying is, is if you have faith, then you'll have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith with my works. Well, what does Jesus say in John chapter 14, 12? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, or he who has faith, the works I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus is saying, if you have faith in me, what does the Word of God say in the book of John? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was raised from the dead, you shall be born again or have eternal life. So in other words, if you have faith in Jesus, you shall be born again. Well, Jesus is saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me or he who has faith in me, the works that I do, he will do and greater works will he do because I go to my father. In other words, Jesus is saying what James is saying. You say you have faith without works, but I will show you my faith by my works because James knew that Jesus said that if you believed in Jesus, the works that he did, you would do and greater works. You see, the very purpose of grace is to produce good works. Apostle Paul says it. If you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Apostle Paul says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the old ways. Don't be conformed to Judaism again. All right, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, is what the next part of this. So, in other words, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed so that you may prove. Paul says, I want you to not be conformed to the world, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed so that we can produce works of righteousness that can prove to the world that God is good, God is perfect, and God is acceptable. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, we were created, Apostle Paul says. We were his workmanship. We were created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I'm going to read it one more time. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What did Jesus say? Truly, truly, 
I say to you, if you believe in me or if you have faith in me, the works I do, you will do in greater works. Look, grace through faith is God's power and ability made available to us. Grace through faith is God's power and ability made available to us for the purpose of empowering believers to live life successfully in Christ. There's a functional responsibility within the body of Christ, and that is with Christ as our head, it is our functional responsibility to fulfill experientially in the earth everything that Christ legally accomplished on the cross. See, what we have to understand is we think that his physical body rose and ascended, and he had a heavenly body, which he did, but he still has a physical body on the earth to which he is the head, and that is you and that is me, and he still wants to move throughout this earth with signs and wonders and healings and miracles and deliverance. He wants us to be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind with he as our head. And we together have the mind of Christ so we can prove that God is good, perfect, and acceptable. Because the word of God says in Romans, it's the goodness of God that draw men to repentance. Man, grace is the very foundation on which faith stands. I've said it time and time again. Grace through faith is God's power and ability to prophesy. Grace through faith is God's power and ability to speak words of knowledge, to interpret dreams. Grace through faith is God's power and ability to speak in tongues, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. The Word of God says freely you've received. Freely give. John 1.16, For of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, or grace in abundance, or of the abundance of grace we have all received. And I will end with this. All believers have already received the fullness of God through the abundance of grace. Although grace, absent of faith, is powerless to effect change in the lives of people, powerless to redeem powerless to heal, powerless to deliver, and powerless to set free. As your host, Paul Graves, I want to thank you for listening to Spiritual Mythbusters. If you like what you've heard, then once again, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on Resources to access our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. So until next week, always remember, if you want to see the glory of God, then you must release God's glory.